everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 12, where this week we talk about Critical Role, episode 13. Uh, as a bit of an explanation for that. <laughs> um, so... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It wasn't it wasn't that funny when I said it before we went live, before we started recording. <laughs> I didn't hear it before then. Oh, okay. Uh so episode twelve uh of Critical Role was a uh, not a actual episode. It was a DM tip sort of proto episode. Uh that Matt basically Matt Mercer sat down in the studio and gave a bunch of GM tips, uh to you know, tips for people who want to be a good game master or wanted to improve their game mastering style. Um and it's sort of like a as sort of like a soft pilot, I guess, for what would eventually become its own series. And uh, because of that, they they still ran it as Critical Role Episode 12. We're not going over that one. Although we may later talk about soft pilots, but that's not necessary. That's not critical to what we're talking about. And this will not uh, be so, the first or last time that happens. No, it will not be the, <laughs> it, it will not be the first or last time something that's oh, no. not Critical Role... Sorry, it is the first time. It, it will not be the last time. time. It is the first time. It will not be the last time. That's something not critical role is de- is determined is determined to be uh, a critical role episode, and thus will throw off our numbering. By the end of this, we'll be I think three episodes ahead of of the so actual far. critical role thus far. <laughs> um, so no, no uh, more than that because there is uh, uh, the Liam spinoff. I don't. The I don't Liam. know that. I don't know that those are qualified as critical role episodes. I don't know if I think those are I think those have been named else in the in the critical role canon. I don't know. But all other we'll things find being out. held constant. Yeah. The the Latin phrase that Jack threw at me earlier today. Um Ceteris paribus. That it's, one. It's an economics phrase. Yeah. All all, all that aside, you know, we this this is also why we don't include the episode numbers in the title of the podcast. I just tell you here at the start so that you can get real nice and confused. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so this week we're talking about episode 13, Escape from the Underdark, starring Orion Okaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxildon, Marisha Ray as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis Willingham as Grog, and as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. And as Previously. always, we are Final Show Films. That's oh, yeah. John, he's our executive producer <laughs> at Johnny Base on Twitter. I'm Jack. I'm one of the associate executive producers. I'm at Alt F4 Gamer on Twitter. And that's Jeremy. He's one of the assistant associate executive producers. And uh, he's J Thomas411 Mania on Twitter. Theoretically. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're off to a great start. And we don't even have it being 2 a.m. as an excuse. Theoretically, Jack is an assistant producer. And Jeremy... I just like throwing the word executive around. Yeah, the- theoretically... But the executive producer actually has a meaning. That's the thing. Oh, okay. Never yeah. Mind. There's I actually a meaning that to that. <laughs> Despite what movies would tell you. You know, an executive producer is the person who has the final say on the green light of all content. Yep, which is why I'm the executive producer for Final Films because I had the final say on all the green light of all on the green light of all the content that we produce. So what you're saying um, is I'm assistant to the regional manager. Yeah, you're assistant. Okay. Oh God. And Jeremy would be a consultant. Uh, <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> uh, yes, that introduction was necessary because I did forget it. 
I'm John. That's Jack. That's Jeremy. All right. I mean, it's been three weeks since we've done this. So. It's true. It's true. Yep. We've had a, we had a couple of weeks off, and I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus for that. I'll, I'll, I'm already still living under there, so it's all good, dude. <laughs> Previously on Critical Role, the party ventured in, ventured deep into the Underdark beneath the Cliffkeep Mountains and the dwarven city of Craghammer, seeking Lady Kima aboard at behest of Lady Alora Fysorin. Uh, arcanist for arcanist of Iman and member of the Iman of the Taldore Council. Council, I believe. Council Taldore. Yeah, believe Council Taldore. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, like which, which, which is an important fact that we will get back to later. <laughs> yes. uh, Lady Lady Kima Avord, a folk hero, paladin of Bahamas. Also, an important fact we'll get back to later. Who had been captured and tortured by the Duragar who live in the Underdark. Another important fact we'll get back to later. Um, after saving her, air quotes, they discovered that there was an even deeper, darker, and more dangerous evil brewing beneath the surface. An illithid or mind flare city of Yagvaril was currently under the control of an entity known as Kavarn, which they, which they came to uh, discover was a mutilated beholder uh, who had been uh, who had come in contact and thus been... Uh, Empowered by a artifact known as the Horn of Orcus, which is a one of the one of the one of the two horns of the God of Undeath, Orcus, uh, that had been bestowed upon uh, a, a specifically demon God of Undeath, uh, because it, apparently that's important that he's a demon god, not just a regular god, mm-hmm. um, who had been bestowed upon the Earth hundreds of thousands of years ago and found its way to Kavan a uh, while back. A while back. With it, with it, Kavarn took over the Illithids and forged a pact with the Duragar to, apparently, his ultimate goal was stitching together various creatures he could find and throwing them at the dwarves. At least, as far as we can tell. Um, that, was the, that was the phase of the plan that, that they kind of intersected. Yeah. That, was, that was phase four of our 15-step plan. <laughs> step Last step of which, profit. always. Profit, yes. <laughs> yeah, always profit. <laughs> Um, they had a great a, a great battle ensued where Tiberius was useless uh, as the group tried to kill useless uh, by uh, choice useless yeah, by choice let, 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 let's be clear there willingly and actively useless willingly and actively <laughs> not not even useless willingly and actively working against the party <laughs> something we'll get back to in a minute something we'll get back to in a minute <laughs> yet another viable um, fact that will be referenced later. <laughs> But the party eventually killed uh, Kavar and Tiberius coming in at the last second and kill-stealing kill the rest of the party. Um, <laughs> using using telekinesis, which is another important fact we'll get back to in just a second, uh, to tear the horn from uh, tear the horn out of Kavarn's forehead. Not to get too meta, but yeah, he literally kill-stole and then ninja-looted Kavarn. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes, he did. So those of you that play lots of MMOs understand how that might feel. (laughs) (laughs) To have somebody who provided no, in in fact, provided uh, the opposite of what would be considered help (laughs) to the party. Give me one second. Where was I? (laughs) Uh, Tiberius being a jackass. Yes. I yes. kill stealing. Yes. So Tiberius, uh, yeah, Tiberius jumped in. Uh, Tiberius, who had contributed nothing of any sort of positive importance to the fight, comes in at the last second, kills Kavarn, takes his horn. 
And thus we begin this episode. So, having dropped Kavarin, the group takes a second to gather their thoughts. And by a second to gather their thoughts, I mean <laughs> about 15 minutes to have Tiberius argue over everyone. Using, uh, wasting multiple levels of spells to silence Scanlan. <laughs> um, and and this is, we're going to immediately go back. So remember, uh, like, five seconds ago when I said to remember that he had cast Telekinesis. So in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, Telekinesis is a concentration spell, which yep. a concentration spell is uh, a type of spell that you can cast and basically you can keep it going. You keep it going up to a certain amount of time. And telekinesis is 10 minutes, an hour. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure what the length it's of time It's a period of time. Is. I think it's, it's, a period it's of time. somewhere, yeah. <laughs> somewhere between 10 minutes and an hour. But that's like not, that, that's not what's important. What's important no. here is that over the course of the next Ten minutes where he and Scanlan are going back and forth because the very first thing that happens is Tiberius, Scanlan and Tiberius are trying to talk at the same time, and Tiberius casts silence on Scanlan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Silence is also a concentration spell. Yep. And you can only have one concentration spell going at a time. And while some GMs will say that if you cast a concentration spell for for just the value of the instantaneous duration and not intending to hold it, then you can maintain your other concentration, which is fine. Except that the intent was to keep Scanlan silenced for the duration of a conversation, which means telekinesis would have dropped. We'll get we'll, in a moment. We'll get to why that's relevant. Right. Also, so he he, he casts silence. He casts silence on Scanlan. Scanlan counterspells it. Then Tiberius well, counterspells the counterspell. <laughs> yeah. Well, although Scanlan didn't actually, they they eventually retconned it back to where Scanlan did not counterspell silence because he was already silenced. I think is what they said. No, no, were, no, no. It was no, no. You're right. You're right. You're right. He, no, he no, successfully yeah. he he successfully did that, and there was a counterspell thrown out, and then he tried to do other spells and couldn't do it because he was silenced. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's Magic the Gathering. The silence was on the stack, and then there was a counterspell on top of that, and there was a counterspell right. on top of that, and then nothing else, and then, then all of that resolved, then other spells were attempted. Um, but, uh, so, so, Tiberius, keeping silence on Scanlan, goes into a rant about how, uh, goes into a, 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 a rant about how they have uh, the temple is being approached by Illithids, but also at the same time, they need to determine what Lady Kima's desire for the stone was, and if Clarota could get that information out of Lady Kima's head, or if Pike could only partially uh, uh, grant a restoration Kima, who had been turned into stone in the previous fight. Um, and so the, the, there's a couple of options that were softballed at this point. About and basically, uh, the 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 group was having a discussion about whether or not they could trust Lady Kima, who you know had just risked her life fighting Kavarn, the person that they were trying to kill and that got this lovely little horn away from. Um, the thing that Scanlan was trying to ask, uh, which we we learn after that little discussion stops for a minute, um, and silence is dropped was where the hell Tiberius was, because as we've just, as we said earlier, Tiberius contributed nothing at all to the fight. Um, yep. Although Tiberius would insist that he was critically assisting, uh, which he does. Yes. He, he wasn't. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. At all, in any way. 
but Tiberius so, is one of those characters that has an inflated view of his own self-importance. This is yes. true. It's fine. It, it is perfectly accurate to his character. Yes, That's one thing that that has to absolutely has to be said, and he has to be given credit for. And this is something where I actually kind of respect Orion because he is willing to play. I don't know if he necessarily saw it that way, but that's completely outside of of sort of how we look at the show. But he was committed to playing an unlikable character. And he succeeded at that. He played that to the fucking hilt. Yep. <laughs> uh, so while this whole discussion is going on, Tiberius is still holding the horn with telekinesis. This is where that ka-ching sound hits when you put all the previous pieces we've set up together. It should have been able to do that. Narratively, it doesn't necessarily matter all that much. No, because the concept of the concentration spell is is mechanical. Except for one thing. Consistency of the rules of your world. Yes. Um, so narratively, uh, and this is a narrative thing, it's, it's not, while it's an, a mechanical irritant to me, it is also a narrative irritant to me. And this comes up a lot throughout storytelling, and it has for generations. And that is when you, when you set the setting of your world, you set the expectation of your audience. And after you set the expectation, it is behooven to you to be consistent with the rules you've set forth. There's, you know, people get, this argument happens a lot, and I'm sure everyone here has heard it, of why are you arguing about physics when this person is literally flying through the air? To which the correct response is, because flying through the air is a rule that has been established, as have the laws of physics. Yes. Yeah. Um... So, so what, it, what, it, what it boils down to is when you say I'm creating a fantasy world, well, then I create this fantasy world and I'm saying, okay, in this fantasy world there are elves, there are dwarves, there are humans, there are orcs, there are all these typical fantasy creatures, and they all behave in the standard trope of those creatures. Okay, I've established that rule. Um, and all of – and, and, and within those tropes they all – and the world itself behaves – mostly according to the way Earth behaves, with the exception of there is also magic. Okay, so we've got we've got Earth-like world plus magic with fantasy races. All right. Mm-hmm. I cannot then say that oh, orcs can fly oh, orcs can fly naturally. Why? Because they can. Well, I have to have a justification that fits within the rules of my world for them to defy the laws of physics or for you them can to defy the previously that. established thing. You can say that as long as it has always been the case in the first orc you ever saw. Yeah. There right. doesn't have to be a rational explanation. Well, they're, they're, that, that's, 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 that's why I was yeah. talking previously about the I've established that orcs follow the same fantasy tropes. Right, exactly. Like exactly. That, that would be part of that establishing moment. And because I, the creator of this world, have already established that orcs follow the standard fantasy trope of orcs, which, by the way, do not fly. Right. I cannot then, after I've established that, go back and say, uh, go forward and say, oh, this orc's flying. Using magic? No, he just has wings. Right. Why does he have wings? Because he's an orc. But orcs don't have wings. wings. That, 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 at that point is where you start contradicting your own internal logic. 
Correct. Um, mm-hmm. And and that more than anything else, contradicting your own internal logic is what ruins immersion for lots of, for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not it's not that the contradiction itself is otherworldly or is particularly abhor- ab- abhorrent. Like an orc flying is fine. It's the fact that the the orc flying of its own power directly contradicts the information we were provided previously, i.e. they abide to the standard fantasy tropes of orcs. Right. Yep. Because the, the thing for consistency in rules when it comes to storytelling is if the characters or if any character can do something new, there has to be a reason why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if any character previously could do something but in this situation cannot there also has to be a reason for that. Yeah. Right. Whenever something and, changes, it has to have a reason. Right. There, you, ha- you, have to have, you have to have rationale and logical reasoning behind changes to abilities, situations, procedures, plot, and development. Um, you know, because, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of TV shows where, you know, uh, Stargate was one of them. Star- most of the Star Treks have suffered from it from time to Heroes. time, you know, right. Heroes as well, where, you know, whatever the issue in this current episode is, well, they have something that could fix that, but it would be too easy. So for whatever reason, they just, they just think of it. This they episode. literally forget about it. They forget right. that yeah. they have the ability to do so. Yeah. Right. Which you know. then, which then brings up our issue of, you know, you're not maintaining your own internal logic. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It is, it is for people who just sort of casually watch. It's just annoying and weird for people who, who look at it a little bit more in depth. It is an immediate indicator that you did not think your world through. You did not think your storyline through and you're just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And in D and D that internal logic is the rule set in just yeah. about any in just about any uh, rpg that internal not just D all rpgs the rule set provides that internal logic and if you're going to make changes to the rule set that's fine that just has to be understood at the get-go otherwise where in a movie or in, or in a book or in any other sort of narrative experience you feel cheated out of a story you know you feel cheated out of your immersion in a game, you literally feel cheated out because the mechanics have changed underneath your feet. Yes. So that 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 that's why I wanted to bring that up. Not just because, because not just because it's mechanically irritating to me, but also because narratively, that sort of lack of internal logic is irritating. In a, in a D and D sense, in a, in a in a game sense, there's not the only thing you can really do about that is as a GM call it and. Mm-hmm. There was so much talking happening at once. I do not blame Mercer for not being able to catch. No, that. no, right. not at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Especially not when it being uh, Tiberius being one of the people talking because he talks loud and ferociously. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So they spend the first fifteen minutes of the game talking, arguing about what to do with Kima, while Illithid are making their way into the temple. <laughs> <laughs> because priorities, right? Um, yeah. Because they... when when there's imminent, de- when you have the choice between imminent death and being heard for your personal opinions, always take being heard for your personal opinions first. Exactly. <laughs> Especially if you're protagonists. Especially. If you're yeah. Protagonists. Yeah. So while they talk, a few a few newly freed Elithid make their way into the temple, flanked by a pair of intellect devourers. They move over to Clarota. 
and, and, and as they enter, Tiberius indicates to the rest of the party that they should chill. They should relax. They should not take any offensive action because these are uh, because Clarota is on our side. Oh. Clarota's on our side. Everyone Five, chill. Four, three, <laughs> two, Clarota. one. The Illithid take is. the. <laughs> <laughs> the Illithid take off the helmet of Clarota, and he immediately rejoins to the hive mind, and they turn and start to, and they mind blast the ever loving crap out of the party. Yep. yep. So let's talk about be- be- betrayal in storylines. Yep. Um, this is and <laughs> do you do you have per- do you have personal experience with betrayal in storylines, Jeremy? <laughs> I mean, I, I do, yes. Yeah, now that you mention it. But no, this isn't, a, this isn't about that sort of thing. This is, so it's funny because uh, as we mentioned, you know, this is, is three weeks since our last one. So I watched this episode a while ago and I had written this note down as something to talk about. Since then, very recently, I saw an example of this that was done very, very poorly. So I'm going to sort of contrast that to, I think, in this particular situation, it was it was actually it was a very good example of uh, uh, using a character. Betrayal is an important part of these kinds of genre high stakes storylines. You're you, you're almost always going to have a character who suddenly turns on the party um, or turns on the protagonist, whether it's Ward and an Agents of Shield or it's. Um, uh, well, pretty much everybody in Suicide Squad, or it's uh, Arth- so on. Arthas so in World of Warcraft. Arthas it's, in World of it's Warcraft. It's your standard yes. face heel turn, right? Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and professional wrestling obviously is a big one. And when you when you have a character like Clarota, you know it, it, it's great to have characters who are who are uh, subversions of tropes. And the idea of a mind flayer who could be a protagonist to the party is or an, an ally to the party builds that hope within the audience and they get invested in the idea that this is somebody who who could be a complete subversion of the mind flare and gives you hope. Sometimes you have to lean into those tropes. Otherwise, the subversion loses its value completely. If everybody is the good mind flare or the... Um, the the, the, goodly the chaotic drow. evil paladin or the goodly drow, the drift, if you will. Um, this is our drift crashing moment anything. of the day. I'm not saying anything. Um, <laughs> or, or what have you. It it loses any impact because you don't have the trope at all to begin with. So there's nothing there's nothing to twist. Uh, so this was a really great example of, uh, of it working because it was a character who its time had reached his end. You know, there, there's only so far you further that you can go with his character. He's not going to stay with the group because this is a D&D game. And you're not going to have that powerful of an NPC with the game. In general, betrayal storylines in narrative should be used and generally are used to open up new paths of storytelling for that character. Like with Clarota to end that character's arc. Now, in contrast to that... I've been catching up on my Marvel Comics reading. And I've read, I, I this week read The Death of X and Aven- uh, uh, Inhumans versus X Men storylines. 
So technically, this is a spoiler for like a seven-month-old uh, a, a reveal that was made like seven months ago. Fair warning. But in the Death of X storyline, it is revealed that Emma Frost has been basically lying to the X-Men in a major way in regards to the fate of Cyclops and basically turns this character into a major, does a heel turn on this character without anybody knowing about it until uh, Inhumans versus X-Men happens. Once that happens and, and, and she goes bad, it is a twist that turns this character into basically cray-cray Emma Frost is cray-cray. Um, and, and it's reductive storytelling in that it, it, it takes the character and brings it back to a point that we've seen this character before. We've seen so many other characters of this type before, um, within, within X-Men. It's the wrong way to do that kind of storytelling because it shuts down arcs for a continuing character and returns back just to what you know, because that's popular. Uh, in this case, in the critical world case, I think it was done very well. Um, but that's something that when you are writing that kind of that kind of twist, you can't just do it for the shock value and then have no plan for that character moving forward. You have to look at it as, why am I doing this? Not only in terms of in-character justification, but what is it going to do for, for the future of this character? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my only problem with this twist, uh, with the with the with Clarota's betrayal, is in what Clarota is in and of itself. Betrayal as a as an idea, you ha- has to be sold. You have to be sold on the idea that you trusted this person in the first place. And like Grog says, never trust an Alithan. Um <laughs> Well, no, let's be clear. Like Travis said. Like wrote Travis down said. three times. The party <laughs> all completely trusted Clarota by that point. Yeah, um, to their own fault, but they did. Right. Yeah. So it worked. It, it, it's this. It's this idea that you you have to you have to sell uh, the, the the trust. And while yes, the party completely tr- except for Grog, the party completely trusted Clarota at that point. They also just like stumbled. They also just walked face first into that trust. Like they, they, there was there, there was on the. If we were writing this narratively, the character being introduced and then the group immediately trusting with no questions whatsoever was a poor setup. It goes back to that. It goes back to that discussion we were having earlier of the the inconsistency of your own world's laws and rules. Um, you know, when, 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 when creatures that are generally understood to be evil are introduced, they have to, they should be, they should earn that trust. But in this case, they were just given all the trust. Clarota was basically given all the trust he needed to then betray them later on. Well, and, but you do have to, you do have to accommodate for the fact that we honestly don't know how much Vox Machina was aware of the existence or reputation of Mind Flayers before they met Clarota. And, that, and, that, and that's bit. fair. Right. That... I mean, like, most of the people who are in the the world of Dungeons & Dragons, if you say, blank, trust an Illithid, everybody's going to say, yeah, never. Um, yeah, right. yeah. But that's because, you know, we've got that meta-knowledge from, yeah. from the, from but the, I also think the settings. Yeah, I think I actually think because we talked about this way uh, back uh, 
in the when, episode when Clarota where, was, yeah. where Clarota talks about his backstory. That backstory, and then not that it was a an active manipulation by Clarota, because it wasn't at that time. Um, and that's sort of the great tragedy of the of this particular betrayal is, had he kept that hat on, he very probably wouldn't have betrayed them. It was he was anyway. The backstory as constructed appealed very specifically to what we knew of those characters at that time. Yeah. There were a bunch of outcasts who had found each other. So they were very much predisposed. And I think while the actions that occurred throughout didn't necessarily do a, a an enormous amount to earn that trust, there was a little bit. I mean, they he actively participated in fights and other stuff, but his telling of his backstory was the earning of that of that trust, right or wrong. Yeah, um, it's it's still like just in my mind. And again, it, it, this may very well this actually probably likely is because of my knowledge of the of the universe and, and the creatures as a whole that it 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 doesn't make sense that people who live in a world that has illithids haven't at some point in their lives heard about illithids. Um, like, it, it's one of the things, like, if you live in a universe that has dragons, you've heard about dragons. <laughs> like, it, it's sort of on that same level of, yes, there's a little bit of meta-awareness of this, but there's a little bit of should-be widespread cultural knowledge. I don't think so with illithids. Um, not so much with illithids, I would say. Because they're they're an underdark race, and uh-huh. by and large, civilized surface civilizations, with the exceptions of the dwarves, don't go into the underdark. And the setting bible for most of these fantasy areas is the underdark is a place of secrets. Shit goes down there. Shit goes on down there that nobody hears about. Exactly. A lot. <laughs> Of stuff that happens down there nobody hears about because you're talking miles and miles underground very difficult terrain you know and nobody's invented cell phones yet no uh you know so it's like yeah with with the barriers to communication that still haven't been surpassed by by magical means because you know magical communication on that level is difficult to achieve based on the rule set of most of these universes yeah it's it's very very believable i would say highly plausible that that the gang would not have even heard of much less seen or known anything about illithids before I mean, we know they that they had heard of them because of yeah. because of some more roles mm-hmm. um yeah. but 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 they but i would say by the by the rules of matt's setting they are in the vast minority of people yes who have and what they knew wasn't like what they were told by by the results of their roles wasn't necessarily anything alignment or like behaviorally based. It was just what they you know what they generally were that they ate brains and I think that was kind of it. Mm-hmm. Rolling back to what's happening in real time, uh, <laughs> the the illithid mind blast the entire group and combat begins. So Illithid are rushing into the room. Uh, at this point, the party understands that we shouldn't be talking. We should be trying to escape. 
and they begin fighting. Uh, Vex starts firing on the Elder Brain itself, hoping to sever its connection with the Mind Flayers. Uh, Keyleth, in elemental form, moves over to try to block one of the entrances and prevent more uh, Illithid from coming in. Uh, Tiberius tries to crush the horn with, tele- with telekinesis, and it doesn't work. He then makes a break for the carpet as Percy... Uh, he makes a break for the carpet, and Percy just... If, if I'm remembering correctly, Percy just takes off on the carpet without waiting for him. Am I remembering that incorrectly? I don't, I don't remember I if Tiberius made it onto the carpet or not. Tiberius did not make it on the carpet, but he was no. not trying to either. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if... I, 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 I thought he was trying to get onto the carpet, and Percy just said, nope, no, up. He, no, he was, he was trying to drop the horn on the carpet because at this point he remembers I can only have one concentration up at a time and I think fly is a concentration spell and yes and given the choice between getting on a carpet and flying under his own power Tiberius is going to do it do it yeah. himself every time so so the the rules of the universe have reestablished themselves yep. and Tiberius moves to drop the horn with telekinesis uh, Percy uh, rises in the air on the on the magic carpet and fires two shots into the brain. Uh, Clarota. Uh, so at, during the during the um, combined mind blast, Scanlan and Pike were both paralyzed by under the force of the psionic energy, uh, which is relevant because now Clarota latches tentacles onto Scanlan and tries to ease brain. Uh, <laughs> Pike is stuck in place, and so Vax uh, and, and and so Vax runs. Under the DS holding the elder brain and stabs it into the da- and stabs it with his daggers. So and, and as he does so, another illithid wraps his tentacles onto Pike, trying to trying to again eat Pike's brain. So we got two party members uh, trying to you know on the verge of having their brain sucked out. Uh, the uh, intellect devourers wandering uh, uh, wandering around. Try uh, sorry, not the intellect devourers. The the uh, the brains that are in the pool with the elder brain. Uh, try to blast Vax, uh, but our, but he shrugs off the he shrugs them off. Uh, Grog th- Grog, uh, deciding that you know everybody else has got this, I'm going to go save the gnomes. Um, <laughs> uh, blasts Clarota with his axe, trying to trying to free Scanlan. Uh-huh. Vex uh, retargets and shoots at Clarota, uh, firing two arrows into him. Uh, Keyleth uh, uses her uh, shifts to one side and tries to uh, smash the pool holding the elder brain and successfully does spilling some of the fluid holding it onto the floor out out of the pool. Tiberius finally drops the horn onto the carpet uh, uh, and and also drops the telekinesis uh, and afterwards uh, so dropping telekinesis uses his uh, earthen pillar spell to block some entrances and raise himself up. Uh, Percy Percy also redirects fire into Scanlan into Clarota's face, uh, and and at this point we start to see sort of uh, the 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 waving mass of attention deficit disorder that Vox uh, <laughs> Machina is uh, as they go. Oh, we should all attack the Elder Brain. That's a good idea. Oh, we should attack Clarota. That's also a good idea. And they just swing back and forth in the two different directions, trying to. Uh, not again. Battle plans not their strong suit, which is fine. It makes never has been. Tension. Um, and I think in this case, it was. It actually a lot of times when they make plans, it's just because there's eight of them, and when you have eight people with that many opinions, your plans never work. In this case, I think it made sense because 
they were so exhausted from narratively it made sense because they were so exhausted from the previous fight oh, yeah. grog had just near you know died and come back uh Chemo's Tiberius was place. Tiberius, and they were <laughs> and, and, like, "Oh shit, Clarota just fucked us." Yeah, and and Scanlan and Pike, the two voices of reason and sanity, which is an interesting sentence to say, but not inaccurate. <laughs> um, <laughs> they Scanlan, the voice of reason. Uh, he is, though, if you think about I it. Know, I know, he is. Case he is. Yeah. Strange. It's a it's a phrase that feels strange in your mouth. It does. It, it, it feels very strange. Like Donald Trump is the president. It's just a yes. weird. <laughs> there goes a portion of our listeners. Right. Uh... <laughs> um... yeah, now I'm trying to think of all the jo- the, the the last week tonight comparisons. Coffee enema. It's a it's a phrase that doesn't work mentally, but is true. <laughs> In 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 relative to Scanlan being a voice of reason and sanity specifically, because yep. while Scanlan is problematic in in so many ways, <laughs> he's also the most sane member of the party. <laughs> this is this is entirely accurate, without equal. Like like there is nobody in the party more sane than Scanlan. <laughs> which, uh, which sort of sets the bar kind of low. Yeah, actually, it sort of sets the bar kind of low, but so yeah, they 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 they're shifting back and forth, uh, firing at the Elder Brand and Clarota and the uh, I think they eventually attack the Illithid. Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, um, Vax. Uh, so sorry. Uh, Percy fires at Clarota, killing him and freeing Scanlan. Vax runs over, grabs Clarota's helmet, and uh, curb stomping his crotch area. Because um, we're not sure what Illithid have down there, but curb stopping that area just in case uh, as he goes um, and then charges to stab the Illithid holding Pike, uh, which which uh, drops that one as well, freeing, Pi- uh, freeing Pike. Seeing their comrades slaughter, the other two Illithid uh, teleport out of the temple uh, where their kind are massing to assault. Grog breaks free of, uh, I, think it, I think it's a uh, intellect devourer that's holding him. And uh, breaks the ropes still hanging in the room. All right, and makes a break for the ropes still hanging in the room. He grabs Kima, uh, bounces off the elder brain, and begins scaling the rope to get to the roof. Vex shoots the brain again and, and, and follows suit. Keyleth tries to go under the brain and punch it in also whatever groinal region the brain might have. Uh, but it, it again doesn't do much. Uh, I, yeah. she was, I think she was basically <laughs> trying to rip it out of its housing, but yeah, uh, it didn't succeed. Uh, she then moves up to the side of the temple, uh, using up the side of the temple using her burrow ability to try to escape. Tiberius casts fly on himself, Grog, and Trinket, and then they fly out, of the, and he flies out of the temple interior. Pike finally sort of shakes herself free of the psych blast, heals herself. And uh, then gives Scanlan a quick kiss on the cheek for saving her before, uh, which is all Scanlan has ever wanted. Well, that's a lie, but it's the <laughs> beginning of what Scanlan wants. But it is one thing that he has always wanted. 
Vax, uh, Vax uh, uh, tosses a couple of blades of the brain on the way to the carpet, and then jumps onto it, and similarly gives Percy a kiss before telling him, let's get out of here. Uh, Percy launches the carpet in the air, shooting the brain once one more time, which causes the brain to fully awaken, as it sends out a pulse of energy that narrowly misses Percy and Vax, which is what we call, which is what we call dramatic irony. Um... <laughs> In that the uh, the action which was intended to kill the brain instead caused it to attack them and uh, caused it to awaken and attack them back, which you know is always nice for adding tension into a scene. We're not gonna. I don't think we need to go deep on what dramatic irony is, but uh, right. it's it's a little right. it's a little sprinkling of spice on the scene, which I appreciate personally because that's the kind of GM I am. <laughs> no, but you and, don't say. And, and and yeah, no. As far as tension goes, yeah. You're you're trying to murder the shit out of something, and it seems really tough. And then you realize, oh, it wasn't inert; it was just asleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, was, it, time it, to it, go. <laughs> it, it actively wasn't fighting back until now. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were stabbing this thing in the brain, and it wasn't feeling any of it. <laughs> right. Just like right. So yeah, um, lost my place. That's fine. Nearly misses Percy and Vex. Uh, the old thing climbing the outside of the temple now have a purple glow in their eyes, as if a new level of power has infused them. We chalk up another mark on the bad ideas board. Um, <laughs> uh, two, two, two more illithid and a troll breach the inside of the temple and mind blast Pike again, stunning her once more. Pike cannot get a break. Scanlan, angry that Pike has been hit again by these creatures, channels Bigby's hand and wrenches the remaining part of the metal crossbeam structure that had been controlling the Elder Brain onto the Elder Brain. Uh, and Spike that. And, and hits the metal, it, 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 it tears away, it tears a chunk of the uh, brain away and then falls onto Clarota's corpse. And the mind flares, and the, uh, which causes the mind flares to move into a more guarded position around the Elder Brain. Vex fires another round of arrows to the brain, and, uh, Keyleth uh, pops up next to her and drops her elemental form. Vex had been on the roof the entire time, I believe, or most of the time. She casts control water and tries to manipulate the fluid in the brain to tear itself in half, but doesn't manage to do a whole lot of damage uh, to it because mostly because she didn't. I don't think she rolled very well, but also because flu, brain fluid isn't necessarily water. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's one of those spells where you don't want to mix your science and your magic too heavily. Yeah. Because, you know. Yep. You just give somebody control over just water. There's all sorts of things you can do. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, control water. (laughs) I want to desiccate this living person. Right. While control water is a powerful spell, not that powerful. Especially when there's another spell that that, that already does that. That is much more powerful. And also costs more. Yes. Uh, Tiberius tells everyone to head to the beach on the island so that he can cast teleportation spell to get them out. On the way, he tosses a fireball down to the brain, killing the two intellect devourers, and proves that he is, in fact, on the party's side. <laughs> because, again, this entire fight, he hasn't done anything. Yeah. Uh, Percy tells Vax to take the carpet and uh, pulls out bad news, firing a shot from the big gun, piercing the psychic barrier uh, of the brain that the brain has to protect itself, and blowing a chunk away, leaving a gaping hole that shows a slightly dulling purple glow inside the mass itself. Scanlan uses Polymorph to change himself into a pterodactyl and grabs Pike and flies towards the beach. Grog flies out carrying Kima as a pair of Illithid managed to blast Trinket and Vex, stunning them both. 
Keyleth jumps on, on the carpet and uses a grasping vine, creating a rope around Trinket, who still has flight on him, and the two of them head out on the carpet. Seeing his sister tied to the carpet, Vax pushes the carpet at top, at top speed towards the beach. Below them, a huge mass of glowing purple eyes begins to follow them. Tiberius lands and begins to create a circle of runes to cast a teleport spell. Now, really quick, let's go back to this uh, inherent rules of the system thing. How long does it taste, take to cast a circle of teleportation? Well, uh, that depends. Was he casting circle of teleportation or was he casting teleport? Because there's I believe, a I believe from the way it was described, he was casting teleportation circle. Well, I don't think, yeah, because teleportation circle is... As everybody goes for their player handbooks. Yeah. As everybody um. goes for their player handbooks to find the uh, teleportation, teleportation circle. circle casting time takes one a minute. minute. Yeah, takes a minute. And I'm pretty sure. However, if you're just casting teleport, I'm pretty that's certain it was teleportation circle because teleport's a seventh level spell. This is also true. And and he blew his high-level spell on telekinesis. Actually, yes. telekinesis and so spell. Should, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. There's no way he had a seventh-level spell at the level he was at. Yeah. At that point. Nope. It had so, to yeah. be teleportation circle. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, he, he lands and begins to create a circle of runes to cast teleportation circle. Uh, everybody on the beach, they pile in. And, and, and it apparently works very quickly. Uh, again, this would have been, uh, narratively, this should have been another one of those high tension, we're at the exit point, but it's going to take a minute to actually exit bits. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, rules of rules of reality have been kind of in flux this episode, and uh, they get away. Right, they they pile through a hole in reality. Because from a narrative perspective, I don't think that this is this is too bad. No, you know, this is this is not as irritating to me personally as the telekinesis silence bit, right? Mostly because uh, that was mostly because silence was being used to be a dick, right? <laughs> right. It, it wasn't getting in. I mean, it provided for a sort of funny moment, but it was yeah. It wasn't but there, but there there's a funny moment because everybody's trying to be funny, and then there's a funny moment that is funny. But people are actually being dicks. Uh huh. And this was yeah. more of the latter, in my perspective, watching the episode. Yeah. Oh you know? yeah. Right. Uh. So Orion wasn't trying to be comedic. He was trying to be in the spotlight. <laughs> and yes, Tiberius was trying to take command of the situation. So yeah, they pile through the hole in reality and find themselves in a dimly lit room. Tiberius is sure they're in Iman, but he has no idea where in the city they are. Uh, they determine that they have landed in the uh, what is it the uh, the Crystal Lyceum, I think is something Crossroads in it. Something Lyceum, I the Alabaster think. Lyceum. Uh, the Alabaster uh, Lyceum, yes. Yeah. Uh, the Alabaster Lyceum, which is the which is the teleportation circle of Iman, or it's where uh, it's where Iman it's where Iman has all of its teleportation circles yep. because they use it to teleport to other cities. Yeah. So yeah, they find themselves in the Alabaster Lyceum, and, and with the help of a clerk, they determine that they that they're there. Uh, they then they then begin to make their way back to Grayskull Keep. Traverse Junction, that's what it's called. Yeah, uh, stopping at all of the pubs and taverns along the way to have a drink. <laughs> uh, first, yeah, we get roughly introduced just basically to uh, Aman for the first time as well. Yes, mm-hmm. which, as, as as an audience, yes, right. Which is which is kind of unique because. 
as you look at the sort of the the lore bible for Critical Role, Amon has always been sort of their base camp ever since they they hit the city. You know, it's if there's if there's a city that's home for them at this stage in the game, it's Amon. But we are what eleven episodes in, ten ep- twelve episodes in, and yeah. as an audience, we're just seeing that for the very first time. Which is a very interesting thing that happens in movies a lot, where like right. especially when you've started when you've started um, heist movies do this when they start in in the action, um, mm-hmm. and then they they finish the action, they finish that that important big important mission or job or whatever it was, and then it's time for the break, and they get back home, and you get you're just treated to this wide sweeping view of the city, uh, and they are going about their business, but the audience is being introduced to the city. Which is which is a narrative tool that works fairly well. Um, yeah, yeah, it really can. Yeah, it, it it sort of gives you. It's that point where you've been narrowed. You you've had such a laser tight focus for so long. Now that focus has opened up, and you get sort of a sense of scale and a sense of grand design mm-hmm. uh, to the world. And I think it was actually at this point for me as a viewer that Taldore began to sort of take shape. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, it was more than just. I mean. W- Everything, the whole Kavarn arc was great, and I really enjoy it, but it was very much a dungeon crawl where you, with the exception of um, Dwarf Town. Crag uh, Hammer. Crag <laughs> Hammer, thank you. They hammer Crags. Crag Hammer. I like Dwarf Town better. Uh, <laughs> with the exception of Tiberius Crag Crag Hammer. That's because um, you're racist. I'm yes, it is. New York. I have human privilege. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but with the exception of that, everything beyond that, e- even with Matt explaining and describing it all, is very dependent on a lot of us who are D&D people, I think, probably. It, it, we were putting our own thoughts of what a dungeon crawl into the Underdark was like in terms of visual image. Yeah. Once you get to a to a distinctive city like Amon, I mean, everybody knows what a what a Beholder's Lair is like, or mm-hmm. what an Elder Brain Elithid community is like. Once you get to a city with its own architecture, its own personality, like Amon. All of a sudden, it's not you're just substituting Waterdeep or or Sharn or whatever that Neverwinter place on Crin or, was or, yeah. or Neverwinter. You're not automatically substituting that in. You're, oh, this is somebody else's world. Yeah, and you're starting to get a sense now of the setting and the yeah. universe, you know, and since at this point we're probably going to be throwing a lot of terminology around, you know, yeah, because you've got, and correct me if I'm wrong here anywhere, the planet is called Exandria, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. The kingdom is called Taldore, which is named after the ruler. Yes, correct. Of the ta- house Taldore, and the city is Amon, um, which is the capital of this kingdom. I think, the, been... I think the continent is also Taldore, I'm not sure. I don't think they've named, I don't think they've that the name of whatever continent Amon and Taldore are on has been named. I don't know. I'll have to check right. while you I'll have talk. To check that out. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's but asked yeah. like seven thousand times. Asked yeah. him about seven thousand times. He just hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Wait for the book. Yes. Oh, no. Uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, the continent, informally, the entire continent is referred to Taldori, but it is not actually, its official name has not been revealed. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because the, the kingdom of Taldori is only part of the continent, if I remember. But yeah. It's um, the vast majority yeah, so of the continent. Right. And now you, we're starting to get the idea of, you know, what the society on the surface is like. And yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic reveal moment. Um, and they do it. They, I think Matt does an excellent job at sort of, you know, kind of pulling the lens back a little bit uh, because, you know, an, an underdark campaign by its very nature tends to be pretty focused, yep. um, you know, and that's partly because of the environment that you're in. It tends to be, you know, fairly cramped. Um, you know, you're, you've got miles of rock pressing down on top of you and there's that palpable uh, compression to the atmosphere if you're, if you're keeping it consistent with the way it's usually portrayed. Um, but now we're finally back under open sky and there's, there's, there's this noticeable change for me anyway, watching it in the atmosphere of the, the show itself. Oh, Everybody yeah. sort of is breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief because, you know, we've, we're back on familiar ground, for the players at least, for the first time since the show started. Yeah. Yep. This is the moment of the big tracking shot across um, mm-hmm. across uh, a King's Landing or, or right. what have you. Yeah. So, yeah, they travel through Mon, seeing the sights, drinking the, drinking the ale, lugging a stone uh, halfling with them the entire time. As you do. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that anybody comments on it either. I think Matt might have forgotten that they were lugging the stone version of Kima <laughs> through the city. I mean, it's an easy thing to forget, you know? Yeah, so easy. Um, it's great. And they, they eventually great. make it back They eventually make it back to Grayskull Keep um, very early in the morning, and they see their staff uh, and, you know, see everybody. They're, they're very relieved to see everything still standing. Yep. Um, and in the morning, they have a quick meal and have some discussion as to what to do with Kima. Now, I don't verbatim have the discussion in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) But would the two of you like to go over the highlights? Yeah, so basically you've got... um, So Kima was turned into stone by one of Kvarn's eye rays. Right. Um, Obviously, you know, they... Time was a factor on the escape, you know, so it's completely logical that they would not have restored her to full functionality in the Underdark. But we get back to Amon, and they, it turns out that Tiberius has joined Keyleth in Team Anti-Religion, where as soon as somebody brings up the idea of turning Kima back, there's this immediate resistance and suspicion based on their projection of what she may or may not want to do with the Horn of Orcus. Now, at this point, I want to go back to the things that I tagged in the introduction, <laughs> first and second. Uh, Lady Kima is an ally of Lady Allura Vysorin of the Taldori Council, whom the group have expressed an amount of trust. Uh, to, for whom the group has, has expressed an amount of trust and respect. And Tiberius, in particular, seems to be infatuated with. Narratively, I get Keyleth. 
I get Keyleth being anti-chemo because Keyleth is in her uh in her uh belligerent um petulant anti-establishment anti-religion right. phase. I have no idea why Tiberius has jumped on that bandwagon. All right. I'm far from its biggest fan, but I will defend Tiberius on this. In terms please, of no, least, that, that's 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 genuinely I have no idea. So please at explain. At least in terms of character continuity, Tiberius throughout this whole thing, once once he got a sense of the Horn of Orcus, he didn't trust his party members around it. He his reaction regarding that horn was was incredibly drastic at a certain level of fear just perhaps due to its power for whatever reason whatever orion was going off of in terms of his interpretation of 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 what that level of power might mean to tiberius who knows because it never really gets explored because reasons that happen soon after this argument um, but uh where he's a dick again but he was at a position at that point, and that's where he starts turning into a dick throughout this whole final little push, is it seems to be based on a fear of of the horn itself as an actual artifact and something of a mind of it. So maybe he thought that it could control people's minds, who knows, but there seemed to be a consistent thread from that point forward of him not trusting anybody, even the people that he had been traveling with for a while. So it makes sense that he wouldn't necessarily trust Kima. Okay. I just had like, it came out of nowhere for me. As far as I could tell, there was no indication of why he was being mistrustful. No indication of like, especially when you consider the fact that previously he had been like sort of trying to butter up Kima to get yes. in good with Alora, Like, knowing that she's a friend of Elora would seem to override most things in my, from what he's previously established of his character. But then just sort of at random, everything flipped. Well, but that's also in, in terms of that, that's in terms of how you act to somebody when they are aware of your presence and how you talk about them when they're not there or they're a statue. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tiberius was very, very, op- you know, very probably the most supportive person in the group towards Kima, with the exception of Grog. But that's also Tiberius for you. He is, as as we said, I think in the very, very first episode, he is the entitled side of a noble, where 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 Percy is the other side of it, the entitled side of the noble. Along with that goes a tendency towards gossip and talking shit about people constantly behind their back, yeah. which we know throughout his entire run, he will continue to do that. Mm. Yep. Um, and, but what, so, so what ultimately is the decision here? I, I know that ultimately the decision is to wake Kima and not lie to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, how did that, how did they get to that point? Um, well, there's, there's the discussion of why don't you trust Kima? And literally no – and this is – that is my issue with the whole thing. None of them in character or out of character have an explanation for why they don't trust Kima. Right. Um, Which you know, might with, be fine because there are there are things where you have an, just an innate emotional reaction to someone that you right. can't explain. But, but they don't even say, 
I just have a bad feeling or I literally the only reason the the closest they get is Lara asks why don't you trust Kima and Orion says I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. And and, and that that's literally as 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 forthcoming as anybody can be about about their their mistrust of of her and so I would say it's it's a situation where I feel like you know, I mean, there were any number of good explanations. Uh, you know, they've literally just had an ally turn on them. That right. could have been perfect justification. Well, we were just betrayed by somebody that we thought we could trust. So now I'm a little suspicious of pretty much everybody. Yeah. yeah. That would that and, would be logical. And, that would make sense. But nobody says that. that and, would been, and, and that would have been an argument that could have then led to another argument of, oh, well, Kima told us not to trust Clarota in the first place. So why? Right. And and that would have been a nice little conflict there. It's but. also worth saying that it's okay that they – it would be okay that they didn't say, well, I, this is why I don't feel this way because I am personally not a fan of people uh, – of, of characters – uh, very explicitly explaining how they feel about complex topics. Oh yeah, because human beings aren't that way. No, we not. don't say you know we don't say well I'm uncomfortable with this because I have emotional issues for this reason and yeah. we're not that self-realizing. But in this case, it wasn't an it at least it very strongly feels like it wasn't an why don't you trust her? I don't know him saying that because. He knows. He just doesn't think Tiberius would know. That was more Orion saying, "I don't know why I don't trust her." Yeah. <laughs> and so this this is where we get into the concept of meta bias, right? Yeah, um, which is is something that has that does happen in narrative. It mm-hmm. happens most often in 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 narrative that you experience as a player or as a consumer like a, as a person that coordinate that that consumes the media. Um but it but it can also happen on the writers end of things. Yes. Um, oh god, yeah. Where it'll be uh, as a matter of fact, wrestling is probably the best way to 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 point out this the concept of meta bias. Um where uh there will be Vince McMahon what what Vince McMahon believes is right for a character's story <laughs> and what Vince McMahon is convinced is good for business and then what is actually narratively correct for a story or actually good for business. Roman Reigns. Uh, Roman Reigns is actually a very perfect thing. To, and it's, even if you don't follow wrestling, you've probably heard the name Roman Reigns. Right. Um, because Roman Reigns is currently sort of the uh, the the character that in wrestling where um, nobody likes Roman, even people that like Roman don't like Roman. <laughs> because, it's true, and, and it has nothing to do with him as a character. It has everything to do with what the people behind his character do with him. Yes, um, and no, that's, it's, that's absolutely true. Because I'm a huge fan. Of him as a performer, yeah, I cannot stand him as a character like most people can't, and not in the well. He's a bad guy, so I'm not supposed to like him because he's not a bad guy. Yeah, he's not I'm let, I'm, as I'm, a I'm, bad guy. And so I'm going to let the wrestling writer Jeremy uh-huh. talk about meta bias with Roman Reigns. So meta bias with Roman Reigns. So this is where 
a writer says, okay, I'm going to write this character and this character is going to be a hero or this character is going to be a villain. Um, the problem is you're not writing them as a heel or you're not writing them as, as, as a hero or a villain. You are, you are writing them or at least the audience reacts to them. The reader reacts, the viewer reacts to them in a way that they are viewing this person as the, as, as the opposite of what you intended them to be with Roman Reigns. The company has decided he is the new John Cena, the new Hulk Hogan, the new Steve Austin. Um, he is the new main hero. Yes. He is, <laughs> he is the new main hero of the company, the main good guy of the company. The problem is he is so poorly written as a good guy that everybody knows that's what they want. And they're not buying the writing, and they're 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 turning on. John Cena went through this a lot too. Uh, if you want to get into take it out of the wrestling format, um, here is our weekly trashing of Drista Orton. <laughs> Drista Orton. I know he is the protagonist. I know that he is supposed to be the hero. I think he is the biggest asshole in the Forgotten Realms. And that includes Cyric, for Christ's sake. Um, <laughs> because he is a sanctimonious... Now those references, I understand. <laughs> he is a sanctimonious, holier-than-thou prick who is not that holy. And Salvador who happily like commits this... genocide. Yeah, and who <laughs> Salvador this... seems to think is like fucking Jesus. So, and this this extends even beyond uh, in many other genres, and yes. it also goes the other way. Yes, where, absolutely. Uh, character like in in the Gundam series, uh, Universal Gundams, uh, Universal Century Gundam, uh, which was the original Gundam uh, Gundam series, I believe. Yes, uh, the one of the main villains, uh, Char Asnable, which may be a familiar name for some listeners. It may be somebody that only like three people in the audience know of, but I'm with you. Um, <laughs> uh, is a character who is basically written to be uh, Space Hitler's number two. Okay. okay? So he, he, is a, he is a character who is on the side of Space Hitler and is okay. one of his trusted compatriots. Um, and that that's how he was written to be. But... Because he's a very enigmatic character and a very charismatic character, uh, the audience enjoys him and likes him and and sees him as far more of a sympathetic character than he was originally intended to be. Mm -hmm. In this case, they went with that and turned him into a sympathetic character uh, right. and, 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 and followed that, that sort of that, that meta bias, that meta awareness of, of his character. Um, but most of the time, that's something that's not followed. <laughs> no, most of the time, it ends up being done poorly. Um, for for that sort of thing, a good example of where it was done poorly, here is our weekly trashing of heroes, is Siler. Um, in, in heroes. Sorry, our, our was, monthly trashing of heroes. Our we monthly. We don't hit that quite as often. We don't hit it quite as often as Drist, that's true. Um, but Siler was, was supposed to be the super villain of that, you know, of of the first season, but audiences liked him so much that the, the audiences, the audience started to view him as sort of the sympathetic good guy character. And then that was an example where the heroes or where the writers 
tried to follow the meta bias and failed miserably. Oh, and miserably, the, yeah. Because well, as soon as as soon as Siler became actually became the sympathetic character and started working for the good guys, he he just was nowhere near as compelling anymore. Yep. See, and also like, so, so once the, upon so, a time. Well, sort of the same thing. Not not the same sort of thing happened with Spike and Buffy. Like, yeah, but Spike carried it off. I think it that worked. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like with, with, with him, it was successful, whereas yes. it with, with Siler... Yeah, no, it was it, a successful heel face turn for Spike, not so yes. much for Siler. No. So, yeah. Not so much at all. But yeah, yeah, when, when, and when that bias comes in, generally, it's writers that see it, for the most part, in most mainstream media, because yep, they're and, the ones who are actually crafting the story. You'll get it in RPGs a little... To, to a greater extent or a greater severity frequently, though, because the consumers of the media are also writing the media. So it's but, this sort of self-fanservice-y kind of... <laughs> yeah. yep. It's also and, why you tend to see the, epi- the, the, the TV shows that tend to be the best, the like, most critically successful and, 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 and well-written, are the ones where they, they write the entire season in advance. And yeah, then sure. it, it's all filmed. In other words, the HBO shows, the stars shows, the yeah. the Netflix, the FX shows, shows, the Netflix series, um, yeah. as opposed to network TV, where they're still in production all the way throughout the season. So, as audience uh, uh, opinion shifts one way or other, there is great temptation to follow that. Oh yeah, there's yeah. a lot of pr- there will be a lot of pressure for writers to respond. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not just from themselves but from their and, you know and from their, their studios and people and their bosses yeah well and and yeah. also responding to uh, world events yes yes mm-hmm. oh of course yeah. yeah um you know so yeah like there's every every uh, you know almost every police procedural had a 911 episode for instance right. yeah <laughs> and uh, law and order's constant rip from the headlines bullshit yeah, yeah. um yeah, yeah. um so going back to Metabias in the case of this, what we have is that these players don't trust Kima because they trusted Clorota first and Kima didn't like Clorota so that they so they don't like Kima because Kima didn't like Clorota. But they can't voice that without sounding like dicks. <laughs> Uh, like like children. Well, yeah, they they and, can't and, and, voice that without sounding like children, so the response ends up being I don't know why I don't trust Kima. Yeah. Well, and I think from Keyleth, I would say she doesn't trust Kima because Keyleth doesn't trust religious people. Right. Yeah. Her her opinion about Kima was well established by that point. Right. And um, there were a couple other characters who weren't necessarily in the not trust. It was in the, well, how about we talk to Allura first? Yeah. Like, that's a reasonable response. Allura is somebody that they know Kima is somebody that they literally just met. Um, That makes sense. But yeah, those characters who were like all of a sudden, like on the anti-Kima train, that was a really weird. And in this conversation, correct me if I'm wrong, we continue to see more animosity between Scanlan and Tiberius. Uh, No, because because Tiberius fucks off. Well, Tiberius... And then, Tiberius fucks off to Draconia, yeah. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> he literally well, we, walks we, out of the we, room. There might well, be some argument before that. Though. What we see is so previously we saw Scanlan uh, asking Tiberius where he, if he was with the group, like uh, way back 
that at the beginning of the week, yeah. Scanlon asked Tiberius if are he you was with, with yeah. are you with us? Because it didn't seem like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tiberius throws out a, a very flimsy justification as to what he was doing. Um, and, and then they get into a I fight. I think his justification is something sort of, along the lines of, I was helping. I was helping. His justification was, I was helping you. I, I, hel- I, I was helping you in big ways. Um, right. That that was his justification. Was I was I was helping, not not in any tangible way, but in his mind he was helping. And then here, they have this discussion. They decide to wake Kima in the morning and not to lie to her. And then Tiberius then Tiberius leaves. He doesn't leave at the beginning. He doesn't leave. He leaves after the discussion. No, he's in. I'm fairly sure it's in the middle of the argument because they're talking about the horn. And, and and looking at the horn and possibly telekinesing it out because so nobody can nobody's touching it and he literally just says I go to my room and I start casting well, teleportations. Well, he he doesn't because as he tries to leave, Scanlan turns him into a rat, and then he he and then Vax as he he continues trying to leave, Vax picks him up and scratches him behind his head until he falls asleep. Then they all laugh at him, wake him up for information. And turn in for the night. In the morning, because he had burnt all his spells, Tiberius teleports to Draconia. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is okay. the next day that he... Uh, the next day he, that he teleports he to Draconia. Off. Yeah, that's right. In, in the morning, Tiberius teleports to Draconia. Yeah. Now, that's why I say, like, we see we do see this sort of animosity between Scanlan and Tiberius again, because Scanlan... At, Scanlan that's right, that's Doing right, very that's... much the same thing Tiberius tried to do to him previously, but slightly more successfully, turns him into a rat, <laughs> and, and so, like, completely ruins his attempt at a dramatic exit. Um, that's when the morning is where the whole telekinesis debate yeah. happens in the morning. Tiberius teleports home to Draconia as the rest of the group sets their plan into effect to revive Kima and deal with the horn itself. Grog holds onto the horn in the bag of holding. Uh, and as Kima is told what happened after she fell in stone form with her counsel, they decide that they need to involve Alora and find a way to destroy the horn once and for all. She confirms, yes, indeed, you idiots, I'm a paladin of Bahamut, I want to destroy the horn. <laughs> yep. Which, now we go back to where I said previously about Kiva being a folk hero paladin of Bahamut. Yes. Um, because meta-bias is certainly a thing, and I may be suffering under it at this point, but again, in a world where paladins exist... And gods exist. You know two things if you know that paladins exist. You know that paladins in this world exist to serve their deity and align themselves morally and ethically to that deity. They serve as that deity's sword, as the Mm -hmm. utmost arbitrator of that deity's laws and beliefs and traditions. Right. More so, like like a cleric serves as the uh, a cleric serves as the mouth of the deity. The paladin serves as his shield and blade. So, thereby, I'm... if you know, the, let me let me finish the thought. And then you, no, that's fine. You, Go you, ahead. Sorry. If you know the paladin's deity, you know their alignment mostly, mm-hmm. um, and you know what their uh, what what their tendency towards certain acts would be. Right. As yeah. a paladin yeah. of a as a paladin of a good aligned god, the normal assumption in my mind, and this may be incorrect, and we'll have this discussion when I finish, is that oh, they want to destroy it. That's my initial thought. And what 
I feel now, now that may be an incorrect assumption, but I feel like that would be the assumption people would make before wanting to use it. I think that is what that is what most players would think. I don't think that is necessarily what most characters would think, regardless of whether you know what paladins what what, what paladins are, and regardless of whether you know much about the about the deeds, which as a reminder, only, only Pike, Pike knew, knew much. Obama, which is fair. Pike and sorry, T- Pike and Tiberius, but Pike did explain what she knew. Yes. Yeah. It's still for that's like if you were to explain to me the concept of uh, the, the Cthulhu. That doesn't mean that that I don't necessarily have a great have a perfect understanding or. I'm not putting my own biases in place in regard to what you're telling me. So madness everlasting. I mean, yes, (laughs) that example, you know what I mean? (laughs) I was trying not to use a real world deity example and, and offend the remaining three of our readers or listeners that we haven't pissed off. Um, (laughs) But Say Ishtar. Everybody loves Ishtar. Ishtar. There you go. Ishtar. Everybody uh, loves great. Ishtar. Great. Now, now, all... <laughs> but everybody loves Kristen Chenoweth. What? <laughs> <laughs> she explained to me the deified version of Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> but based depending on character experiences, and that's not necessarily the case in terms of what they know about paladins. I mean, yes, we we all rationally know that they're they're servants of their deity, and they are the utmost examples of their deity. Great, but and we don't necessarily know that's the case in any of the in any of these situations, except for maybe Keyleth because she was so anti-religion in the first place. I've always felt there was some sort of thing that hasn't really been touched on in terms of why she's so anti-religion. Uh, think, personal think, experiences from what we've from what we've learned thus far in the series it mostly feels like just cause i mean they've never really talked about it in terms of yeah. like what what she experienced between yeah anyway um <laughs> and and before before we get anybody making comments if there are any acadian assyrian or babylonian uh, uh, Thank you. people still alive to get upset about our use of Ishtar, hey, you belong in a museum. Let's be honest, there the, there are some pagans that worship those deities, so I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's um, yeah, cultural but... appropriation at this point. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, dear god. <laughs> Let's and... not get into that argument. <laughs> Ha! I, I will go full ISIS and Anubis on your. Uh, <laughs> and I know I, ISIS, I, ISIS, I would, Egyptian god, ISIS, Egyptian god, goddess, not other yeah. ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't See, know what I'm just I like know. sitting right here and just watching you go. <laughs> it's Egyptian god Isis, and this for is... the record, I know that 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 I used the wrong two deities there. Trust me, I know that was the point. But 
Well, I'm just, I'm just about? gonna, I'm just gonna chill over here with the Morrigan and Manan and Mechlier and let you guys there you go. the hell you. Uh, <laughs> no, but we don't know what. We don't automatically, it, you don't automatically know that as your PCs. And there may be biases in place based on a bad experience with past paladins or the culture that you grew up in yeah. or whatever. I'm not saying that any of that is necessarily the case here because, frankly, we don't have any evidence of it from Scan. We don't, we, we, I would almost say we do have evidence of it just in a general we're 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 outcasts who outcast by elven society the 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 twins but in not so much we don't have any of that from grog we don't have any of that from most of the characters yeah but i think i i i i think it's it's sort of the idea uh at least with keyleth it's it's informed by the idea that the closest real world counterpart to a druidic tribe would be like a uh, a hippie coven uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that might be where some of it comes from but there is no evidence that that's where it comes from no no there there would there would have to be a lot of supposition to figure out exactly where that came from but yeah. you know, i i think in i'm this just a, case... i'm just a fan of keyleth's apparent detest of religious figures as it stands right now in the story versus where keyleth is in episodes later on and who she's affiliated with most closely. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, <laughs> thoughts for the future. Valid it, point. It, it gets silly later on. Like <laughs> I hate paladins. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Regardless. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was necessarily completely off base for them to potentially do so except for the fact that i don't think we have any evidence of it in the past other yeah. than keyleth's well-established yeah. fuck him attitude well and not way. in a good way uh it is established that yes uh kima did indeed want to destroy the horn the entire time right. you idiots <laughs> uh, um which i think is one i think is verbatim what she says uh and uh, with with their count, they they decide to uh, check in with Laura uh, to involve her to find a way to destroy the horn once for all, or at the very least put it someplace no one will ever find it again. And that is the end of our episode. <laughs> Mostly fighting, a little bit of drama, a little bit of confusion, uh, and and Tiberius being a dick. <laughs> Tiberius, yep. like there's a, a good fifteen percent of this episode is Tiberius being a dick. I mean, not to be spoilery, but I'm gonna. Uh, I legitimately don't remember what hap- uh, What happens when he comes back? Is, is it ever even addressed that he goes back to that in that he left Draconian and came back? In this, like, episode? it's like when he comes back next episode. I don't remember, and we'll find out next week. We'll so. find out when we watch it again. Because we'll that would make out. me laugh if it doesn't. We will find out next week. Uh, when we hit episode, when 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 we hit critical thinking episode thirteen, critical role episode fourteen, uh, which I don't have the title for in front of me because I was too busy trying to think of how these numbers work. Uh, <laughs> hang on, oh, episode fourteen, uh, which is, damn it, this is not working at all. 
Shopping and shipping. That's shopping and shipping. Yes, that's the name of the episode. Shopping and shipping. Shopping episodes will always be fun to discuss from a narrative standpoint. Yep, I guess. Yeah. So when we get, we'll be back. I want to buy mirrors. We will be back next week. Fuck you, Jeremy. I'll buy a thousand mirrors. <laughs> Episode 14 Shopping and Shipping. We have been Final Show Films. We produce a wide variety of content every day of the week. You can check us out on our website at finalshowfilms.com. You can also check us out on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms. And you can find some of our stuff at fullonemania.com. Jeremy, tell them about 411mania.com. 411mania.com. We are a pop culture site that have our domain back finally. Shh! Don't talk about that. <laughs> Fuck off! It was off. never, it was never gone. I've been dealing with this all week. I'm talking about it. Uh, but no, if you are interested in knowing how good um, American Gods is when it premieres and at the end of this month, we've got that. If you want to know the spoilers for the next or uh, for the next NXT Takeover, which is uh, in Chicago at the end of this month. We've got those. If you want to know the which characters are returning to Deadpool 2, which characters are going to be in Marvel's new Warriors series, we've got all that. We cover t- movies, television, uh, comic books, uh, wrestling, video games, MMA, music, and some of the stuff that uh, Final Show Films puts out. Uh, check us out. Yep. And if you like to support us financially, you can do so on our Patreon page. Thank you to our $20 supporters, Chris Comfort and Atonic. Um, our current, we're currently over our $100 goal of uh, separating out our podcast feeds. Uh, you should be listening to this on its very own feed, which will be going up as soon as I put everything in it, now that we're back on doing this. So it would have been up earlier, but shit happened. Anyways, uh, but yeah, uh, thanks that. Our next goal on the Patreon is $500, at which point Jack will be getting paid from you guys rather than from me to be doing audio editing. Um, so get us up there so that I'm not paying him. You are. Uh, yeah, we'll appreciate that. Uh, Throw a couple bucks our way if you like our stuff. So thanks for listening. I forget. Do we do it? Do I reintroduce ourselves on the outro? No. Not usually. Okay. All right. We just talk about how how we're all executive producers. I, I will murder you in your sleep. <laughs> you'll have okay, but you'll have say to say goodbye, everybody. Your own plane ticket. Goodbye. 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 goodbye.